It's time to breathe new life into the social entrepreneur by empowering you to make a living through fulfilling work that will impact lives. You'll make money, but more importantly, you'll make a difference. Welcome to the Change Creator Podcast. It's time to build a business with purpose. Now here's your host, Adam Force. Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is your host, Adam, here. Um, Thanks for joining today. We're going to be talking about some marketing. Um, So if you're looking to scale that business, scale that impact, this is a good episode for you. We have a special guest by the name of Sam, and last name, I'm going to give this a shot, but it's a tough one, uh, Mala Karjunan. Um, He is a marketing fellow at HubSpot and former head of growth at HubSpot Labs, um, which was basically kind of like a a secret or experimental arm of the world's number one sales and marketing platform. Uh, He teaches advanced digital marketing at the Harvard Division of Continuing Education and is the co-author of the book, How to Sell Better Than Amazon. Um, So a lot of great experience. We're going to talk to him about, um, you know, some of his growth strategies, ideas and tips so that we can help you guys apply those and take some good action for your business and startups. Um, Guys, just some exciting news to share as well. Uh, Issue 10, um, you know, we had some extremely frustrating delays with it. It's going out on the new platform. We got hung up in iTunes. If you're on the email list, you already know this because I put an email out explaining um, how I'm losing my hair over this. And uh, we did get it out the door. But as we, um, you know, just like whenever you're making a big change on anything, um, we ran into some roadblocks that we're overcoming. So right now it's available on iOS. So if you have an iPhone, it is ready to rock and roll. Um, and you can get the desktop version as well. Um, Google, we are still working on. So Android users, hang tight. We are going to get it out there soon. We're, we're running into another tech challenge, but we're going to overcome it as soon as possible. So right now, issue number 10 is rock solid. It's on the new platform. It's responsive. Check it out on iOS. Guys, we'll keep you updated on Android. Um, don't forget to stop by leave us a review please we look forward to your feedback and updates Um, all good things coming down the pipeline so guys without further ado let's jump into this conversation with Sam I know you're gonna dig this Sam what's up man how you doing today really appreciate you joining the show what's going on I'm great, man. Thanks for having me. It's a beautiful day in Alaska. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Yeah, Alaska's a beautiful, uh, beautiful area, and uh, we're hanging out here in South Florida. So, you know, I I love what you have going on, and this is, I think, a, a valuable conversation for our audience um, who is looking to really just get that initial traction with their startup, and it looks like you have a lot of great experience. Um, and so I just want to give people some background um, you know, you are right now, um, you know, with HubSpot uh, and also doing some teaching over at Harvard. Um, so before you got into all this stuff and started becoming an expert in growth and marketing, what was going on in your life? Um, can you take us back a little bit and just let us know how you got there? Yeah, I, w- I was an unemployed homeless talk radio show host uh, <laughs> in Tampa. Uh, <laughs> prior to HubSpot. Uh, that's, that's not actually an exaggeration. Yeah. So I had an AM FM talk radio show um, on the weekends about uh, cigars and scotch and sort of the, the cigar culture in Tampa and Florida. And, um, 
you know, as you might expect, it's a pretty niche industry, so it, it doesn't pay very well, but um, it's something I enjoyed a lot. You know, I basically spent all week smoking cigars, drinking scotch, and then talking about it on the weekends. Um, but it, uh, you know, it, um, it, it wasn't really, a, it wasn't really a growth industry. It wasn't, wasn't something that I could keep doing. It just, it stopped being fun after a while too. Uh, and so I saw, I was actually just like a fan of HubSpot. I saw their blog, I'd read all their webinars, uh, but I was woefully unqualified to work there. You know, <laughs> college degree, no previous, no, no college degree, by the way. Um, no, no previous marketing experience. Um, and so what I did was I built a website called hiremehubspot.com. Um, <laughs> and I ran PPC ads targeting the people who worked at HubSpot to register for the free webinar on why you should hire me. Um, that's creative. Which, I like that. Yeah. I mean, it was my, and by the way, like I didn't actually think that would work. Um, because you know, I, I knew that I didn't meet any of their like must have qualifications on their website. Um, but my, my actual hope was that somebody else would notice the campaign, like it and hire me instead. Um, but I, because, and I okay. want to pause right there, not to cut you yeah. off, but I think it's important no. because what I love just about that simple idea is to show people that, you know, when you're in these early phases, sometimes you have to get creative and do things that are out, outside of the norm, um, to try and get attention or get noticed. And I think that's exactly what you're doing here. You're, you're, you're already thinking like an entrepreneur. You're saying, how do I get their attention? What can I do? And you did, you did, you tested out a creative execution. You had no idea if it was going to work or not. You had a hypothesis and you just threw it out there. So I'll let you continue, but I just like that point. Totally. Yeah, so you know, it's it's uh, there's a, there's a lot of flexibility in having nothing to lose, um, you know. And, and what, one of my general philosophies is, if you do what everyone else does, you'll get what everyone else gets. And That's most right. people get rejected by HubSpot, right? You know, they've rejected something like a hundred thousand applicants or something like that. Um, and uh, you know, and and honestly, the the weird thing is, if I was actually qualified. I may not have gotten hired because I probably wouldn't have done hire me HubSpot, and I would have if I had a college degree and you know three three to five years experience, whatever. Um, I would have just gone through their normal application process, right. and I'm not sure that if I hadn't done something like that, that I would have stood out in the interview enough to get hired. Right. Um, so, you know, sometimes your your inexperience or your uh, your inhibitions can actually be an advantage uh, because they force you to think outside the box and, and be creative. Exactly. And I think that plays into money too. Everyone's like, well, if I just had, you know, the $250,000 funding round, um, I can get my <laughs> business off the ground. But a lot of times um, that could be a total distraction for how you actually execute. So like if you want to be innovative, sometimes not having the money will make you innovative just the same way as not having the credentials made you innovative. It'll force, it'll definitely force you to get customer validation a lot faster, right? And um, so, you know, I've, uh, I have an article that I wrote on Medium called um, a, a Horrible Record of Failures You Won't Find on My Resume. And it's all the like startups that I've tried that have flamed out. Um, yeah. And, you know, when you don't have $250,000 in funding, making sure that you're validating the customer value and everything else really, really quickly and really, really early becomes really, really important, right? Because I've got, you know, maybe my $10,000 that I've spent saving, uh, and I've got to use that to, you know, fund my startup. And I can't do what, you know, maybe some Silicon Valley startups do, where I just raise half a million dollars or a million dollars to just test an idea. Right. You know, I've got to get really, so one of the startups I had, um, I just built a landing page for it, ran $400 worth of Facebook ads to see if anybody would sign up for it. Um, cause if nobody's going to sign up for it, I'm not going to actually build it. 
uh, and I got a bunch of bunch of feedback and commentary and stuff on the comments on the Facebook ad. Um, turned out it was a horrible idea, uh, <laughs> <laughs> or at least one that was uh, the, the world wasn't ready for. It was what a. Was uh, it? Uh, it was it was a, a tool that would auto fact check content that you saw on social media, ah. and that would send you the content that you're most likely to disagree with, right? So if you're like pro gun control, it's going to send you all the best anti gun control articles. Uh, turns out that while that sounds great in concept, no one actually wants that. Huh. Uh, so okay. if, if I want to build that behavior in people, I have to find another way other than just sending them content that pisses them off. <laughs> interesting, interesting. So I guess now you, you how did it how did you connect with HubSpot? How did that start then? So you put up this landing page, um, and so you got someone's attention over there. Or like how, what happened? Yeah, fastest campaign of my life. Um, three hours and twenty six minutes later, after pre- literally after pressing go on the ads, I got a call from their recruiter, um, and three weeks later, I moved from Tampa to Boston. Um, it was it was a pretty, pretty quick process. Um, and I captured leads for like a third of the company. So at the time the company was only like a hundred, 150 people. Um, and I got leads for both co-founders, the CMO, <laughs> uh, everybody else like registered for my webinar. Um, the good thing is they hired me before I, the date that my webinar was quote unquote scheduled because I had no idea how to actually do a webinar. Oh, you, you um, didn't have one in the can yet. You were just, you just no. said you did. <laughs> yeah, I totally just said I did. I'm, I'm like, I'm like, this sounds like an offer that like HubSpot would have, right? Which is like register for a free webinar on whatever topic. And so I just made that in the landing page. But uh, honestly, again, you know, I didn't go to college for marketing. Uh, most of what I knew about marketing, I had learned from HubSpot and other content sources. Uh, and HubSpot had never done a webinar on how to do a webinar. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so. I, uh, I I didn't actually know how to do it, but yeah. But um, fortunately, like you know, I I flew up there, did the interview process. Um, it was a pretty pretty good and interesting interview process. Like I I learned a lot uh, just in the interview process, um, and then yeah, mo- moved up there and started started consulting with their e commerce companies. Wow, that's pretty cool. So so today now you're a marketing fellow at HubSpot and it says you're looking at some of the notes I have. You're a former head of growth at HubSpot Labs. So you're not head of growth at HubSpot Labs now. Um, I guess what changed in your, your work over there? So we have two professional tracks at HubSpot. We have the conventional management track uh, and then we have what we call the individual contributor track. And you know, throughout most of history, we've judged somebody's success and power by how many people's fates they control, right? So, like, to this day, my family still asks me, like, oh, how many direct reports do you have? Like, that's the barometer of career <laughs> success. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, you know, I ran HubSpot Labs. It was a big team. My team stretched from Bali over to Bucharest. Wow. Uh, you know, it was an important team. We built uh, things like inbound.org, which is a community site with more than a quarter million members now. Um, you know, but I... I missed doing work, uh, like actually doing marketing and being in the nitty gritty. Yeah. Uh, and then also there were some things about management that I didn't love, uh, that I didn't feel like I was super prepared for, um, that were just like, frankly, just super stressful. Right? You should, it, it's insane to say that the only way that you can grow your career is management because management is itself a skill. You know, yeah. people, there's this like false notion that just because you're good at a job that qualifies you to manage other people doing that job. <laughs> uh, that's not at all true. Like yeah. you've got to have empathy and you've got to do these one-on-ones. You've got to do career development. Like it's a lot of work and it's really rewarding, 
right? Like when you really, some of the proudest moments of my professional life so far have been when I saw somebody I was managing, um, you know, really take off and, and catch their, catch their stride. Yeah. Uh, but it just wasn't something I wanted to do anymore. And, um, and so HubSpot has this other track, the individual contributor track, where if you're just like really good at a job, um, they will like continue to give you raises and promotions and everything else like that. And you can, you can grow your career just by being good at your job. I know it's a shocking concept. Yeah. Very cool. I like that. (laughs) Um, so, and, and so right now you're also, um, working over at Harvard. Can you tell a little bit about what you're doing there? Yeah, so I teach uh, I teach at two schools right now, University of South Florida in Tampa, uh, which you're probably familiar with, yeah. uh, and then I also teach at Harvard University's uh, Division of Continuing Education. Um, I love the Division of Continuing Ed because I've done a fair bit of guest lecturing and guest teaching at the undergrad level, um, and for anybody who's ever been an undergrad, right, like you remember how terrible we were. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and you know, they're just, they, they don't have any background. They're there to like check off like, uh, you know, a, a requirement on their list. Uh, Division of Continuing Ed is actually a lot more fun because it's people who are real existing current professionals um, who will take a week off and we do, you know, nine hours a day for five days straight, um, a very intensive course on um, marketing economics, acquisition economics, growth, growth strategy, everything else like that. Um, and the people who take it are like, you know, VPs at Fortune 100 and Fortune 500 companies. Right. So the conversations that we have in class are really, really, really interesting. Okay. Um, because, you know, one of the people, he was a, a, a VP at a, a VP of marketing at a, a large Fortune 100 company, but he had never done digital before, right? And his unit had just absorbed the digital marketing unit for this restaurant chain. Um, and so he took he took the class and he's like, okay, like I, you know, I'm not used to being able to measure marketing that way, right? Um, or I'm not used to the mindset of these sorts of folks or how, you know, things can go wrong really, really quickly or what I'm supposed to have in place. Uh, so even though he had 30 years of, of marketing experience, you know, um, he accepted what I think we're all learning which is that, um, you know, the idea that you're going to be able to pin your future career just on your past success and what you learned in college or over the rest over the past career is no longer like a plausible career plan. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Very interesting. Um, <clears throat> well, so so I guess one of the things I'd like to now you have a ton of experience, obviously, you're teaching at very credible uh, universities and working with HubSpot um, and you've done your own startups. So over this time, like what has been one of, if not the most valuable lesson in business growth for a startup that you have learned? Like anything, any insight there that you might be able to share with our audience? Yeah, I, um, HR won't let me do this, but I, I, when I was running labs, I, or growth at labs, I repeatedly threatened a tattoo. We are not the user on the inside of my team's eyelids. <laughs> Um, whether it's writing content or building an app or designing a product, there is an inevitable temptation to build for ourselves. Um, and that's great. If you can find that thing where like you are the ideal customer for, for what you're building, that's awesome. But nine times out of 10, you're not the ideal customer because you know enough to like develop this really awesome solution. And by definition, customers don't know as much about the problem as you do, or they wouldn't pay you to help them with it. Um, you know, and whether it was writing an article that was just 
way off. Like it, it impressed me and like I learned something writing it and all my friends like thought that I was super smart writing it. That's great. But if it doesn't, it doesn't actually drive any value for the users, for the customers, for the, the, the universe of people that I'm trying to build value for, then it's a waste of time. Yeah. Um, the same thing on an app, right? So right now I'm, I'm working on another app. You know, we're, everybody's always working on something, right? <laughs> yeah. um, I'm working on another app and, you know, I'm, I'm being very cognizant of getting feedback from um, other people, from other potential users, uh, so that I'm not just building a solution to my own problems that I have, uh, because you tend to overbuild, right? So those people who think they need half a million dollars or a quarter million dollars to launch their their product, it's probably because they're trying to overbuild the perfect solution. Um, they're trying to solve problems that they don't have yet, right? So e even in the feedback I'm getting for this one app, you know, all the users are like, well, I see a bunch of ways that, you know, this could be abused or this could go wrong. Um, and my thought process on that is, is if my app is so wildly successful that it attracts the interests of spammers and all those kinds of people, then I'll raise a bunch of money. I'll have no problem raising a bunch of money <laughs> and coming up with technical solutions to those, to those problems. Right. My bigger concern by far is that no one actually wants to use the thing, right? So let's build something basic, uh, something that delivers a lot of value. Don't build for yourself. We are not the user. Um, and then catch that flywheel of growth uh, when you have it, because I'd rather fail quickly um, then fail hard, slowly and expensively. Yeah. So yes. I guess that leads me to ask you, um, what is, do you have any tips for people on identifying, um, your target audience and how to get that kind of feedback you're talking about? So for example, I'm taking these two steps, the audience and getting feedback because, when you come up with an idea, you might put a landing page, you drive traffic from Facebook. One of the things I've learned is, you know, you want to obviously have an idea of who, who your end user is, right? And then if yep. you go onto Facebook, you know, you can get high click volume if you go globally and you have, you know, developed and developing countries in your, in your audience, but they just have the <laughs> same interests, right? But sure. then if you go to the U.S., um, you'll get crushed. Um, sometimes you can get zero clicks or it's going to be very expensive, a dollar a click, whatever it might be. Um, I guess, do you have any tips on, you know, I guess kind of crafting your targeting to make sense and, and tapping into the right audience. And then, and then once you do, how are you getting them to share actual feedback? Yeah. So, so first off, um, I, so I, I ran our expansion, our marketing expansion in Latin America as well. So I got some hard lessons on the differences in different regions and cultures. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it might be more expensive per click to get all us based data or whatever region that you're launching into. It might be more expensive per click, yeah. but it's a lot cheaper long term to have good early data, good early feedback from relevant people. Um, so even though it may cost you three, four, five times as much money to get the initial feedback from your target market, yeah. um, that is a much cheaper uh, way to go about it than to, you know, yeah, tar target the Philippines or, or, or India or something like that. Uh, or in my case, Latin America, like PPC was crazy cheap in Latin America. Yeah. But they're, yeah. they're also different it's a different culture, right? So the, you know, we're learning this, uh, at HubSpot with our expansion into Asia Pacific and, and some, and some, uh, European countries like Germany, like the value propositions that worked for us here in the U S for example, like, you know, we make it all about you, the marketer, you're the platform, uh, grow your brand, grow your business, everything else like that. Um, in Japan, that's, that like that messaging doesn't resonate at all, right? That value proposition is 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 fundamentally off because they care about driving value for the business. Um, so definitely, like you know, I would say like spend 
a little bit more money and get good feedback. And then if you haven't done the buyer persona exercise, yeah. um, you should, right? Because it's not just the demographics of, you know, age and location and gender and income and stuff like that. Right. Um, what you're testing are psychographic hypotheses, right? Right. Um, I used to run experimental marketing at HubSpot and what that actually meant was um, this exact thing, refining new personas, um, testing different value propositions and different markets to see if what we had could resonate. Um, and do you, do you remember that uh, Michaela is not impressed meme from the Olympics like yes. uh, six yes. years back? Yeah. So I sent an email out to a couple different lists and I said like something like, uh, so you think on-page SEO is the only thing you need to do. Michaela is not impressed. And I targeted my our e-commerce customer list, right? And they were they thought it was hilarious. They clicked through; it was great. And I also sent it to our nonprofit list, and I got flamed, <laughs> man, because they were so pissed off. They're like, "I'm sitting here like saving children in Somalia, and like you're you know yelling at me because you know I'm I'm you know doing whatever wrong." And like they thought Michaela was a real person because you know they're in Somalia. They hadn't kept up with the Olympics, and meme culture was still new back then, right? Um, you know, so like testing the, you know, how they respond to authority and how they respond to credibility, all these other things, like defining all these psychographic characteristics and values, um, is important. And, and you want to figure that out again, before you build the thing, um, this sounds so counterintuitive to so many people, but clearly defining the problem, uh, and clearly defining the user is far more important than clearly defining the solution. I believe that you know, we live in a world where somebody in Houston is working on an actual freaking warp drive at JPL. Mm -hmm. um, I believe that you can solve whatever the problem is. Uh, what I'm much less convinced about is that it is a problem and that you've defined the problem and that it's a problem that people like are willing to solve and give you a bunch of money to solve. Right, right. Yeah, I think those are all great, great points. Um, I mean, if you don't know who you're, who you're talking to and how to talk to them, uh, you're not going to get very far. And I have found that... Um, the Facebook uh, graph search bar, you could do some yeah. interesting um, searches through that to start identifying, you know, people who like this page with an interest in this, right? Yeah. And you can get a whole list of people and start going through them to see, you know, who are these people. And it, I mean, the, I feel like that Facebook not only is a powerful marketing tool, but it's a really powerful research tool as well. Do you agree? Absolutely. So one of my favorite things is custom audiences and lookalike audiences in Facebook ads. Yeah. If you can get even a little bit of traction, um, Facebook has one of the most sophisticated artificial intelligence research teams in the world at, at FAIR, um, Facebook Artificial Intelligence. Yeah. And um, they are crazy good. Terrifyingly good. Like somebody's <laughs> probably going to come back in time and try and kill Sarah Connor because of them. Um, but like they are crazy good at finding other people who are like that person. Right. Um, you know, they did a bunch of research. Facebook's better at predicting what someone's going to like off of just like 10 to 30 data points on their profile. Uh, than oftentimes their own family and friends in terms of predicting how they, how they're going to respond to something. Yeah. Um, you know, so yeah, I love custom audiences where you upload a list and then create look-alike audiences. Um, I do that with HubSpot a lot or any of the projects that I work with. You know, my first hundred or maybe even thousand users, um, the really good ones, like I'll feed them into a look-alike audience and tell Facebook, hey, go find me more people just like this. Don't you need a certain volume of people for that to work? Yeah, you do. And, and it depends. And, and the Facebook interface will tell you um, if it doesn't think it has a, enough of a sample size to work with. But I've done it with like lists of 400, 500 people. Really? Huh. Yeah. 
interesting. Okay, well, that's good to know for people. Um, so, okay, I guess I'm curious then. So we know what your biggest takeaway is, a valuable lesson. Um, you've obviously probably screwed a lot of things up too. So (laughs) (laughs) what kind of stuff uh, stands out to you? Like maybe what's one of the biggest struggles that you've had or, you know, I guess a lesson from a failure and how you overcame that. So anything that you want to share, this this gives people something to relate to because we're all going through this stuff. You know... Uh, this is, this sounds stupidly obvious, but, uh, the biggest lesson that, that I learned is uh, Clay Christensen's got this great quote that he, that he, he told us once that was cash flow is more important than your mother, right? Like we, we, we do have to remember that we are building like businesses or building revenue and acquisition models. Um, and that you have to measure exceptionally well, right? You can, somebody else can take your exact business model and beat you into the ground just by measuring better and doing better acquisition and retention economics. Um, and then, and like you have to sell, right? Like, you know, especially really smart people, um, the software engineers and those sorts of folks, people who are going to make an invention, uh, they don't, they don't like to sell. I didn't like to sell, you know, when I was first starting my, my first startup, you know, uh, was putting a magnetic, uh, advertisements on the sides of kids' cars at college uh, and selling ads to local businesses. Uh, that, that was my first startup. Uh, you know, but my problem was like, I didn't want to go sell advertising. I'm like, that sucks. Like, I don't want to like walk into a bunch of random businesses and have to tell people like, go tell me to screw off. Right. Uh, and it's one of the reasons I'm a huge fan of the two co-founder uh, system. Like one person who's really good at solving the problem and one person who's really good at convincing people they have a problem. Um, <laughs> I have worked directly for both Dharmesh Shah and Brian Halligan, uh, the two co-founders of HubSpot. Uh, and I am 100% convinced that there would be no HubSpot without both of them. Right. Um, <laughs> right, because uh, without without Brian, nothing would get done, and without Dharmesh, there'd be nothing to do. So. Yeah, interesting. Well, I agree, and I, I have found, you know, for the first year of Change Creator Magazine, it was me flying solo, and... More recently now, I got two other people on the team. Um, it's a world of a difference. <laughs> I and think, everything. you know, yeah. if you could start out with a co-founder, to your point, um, it really makes a huge difference in the ability to move faster and get more done. Um, so if you could find the right person, I think that's... A it's also your first test of product market fit, right? So, like, if you can't convince literally just one other person with an entrepreneurial mindset that you're onto something here and that it's a problem we're solving and that it's a solvable right. problem. Right. Uh, hey, you may, may want to go back to the drawing board there. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's, that's another thing too, is like, you've got to have some kind of vision that people can see and believe in. Um, right. And that vision has to include how you're going to make money. <laughs> I learned yeah. that in my first year when I tried to get a few people on board, um, I revisited that they said, you know, they were like, yeah, I really love it. I love it. But they weren't as clear about some of the stuff I had going on. And so the later, later on the next year, um, had revisited them in the conversation and had so much more clarity on the, uh, where the money's coming from and all that stuff. And now they're, they're on board. <laughs> so, yeah. I, I judge lots of, lots of startup conferences and stuff like that, like startup pitch contests and stuff. And, uh, it, it amazes me how many people go into even a pitch contest right. without something like 
you know, here's the size of my total addressable market. Here's a go-to market strategy. And here are my at least estimated unit economics, right? So uh, a startup is is a business where, you know, you've got this, this box that is your startup and I'm going to put a dollar as an investor into your startup and you're going to give me like three or five or seven dollars or whatever out in terms of monetization um, and, and growth. And you have to like know that and model that and understand that. And to be fair to those who don't, I did not know that before I got to HubSpot. I still vividly remember my first company meeting. Um, back then, the entire company met every month. Um, you know, and and our CMO, our chief marketing officer, gets up there and starts doing like you know marketing's contribution to the cost of acquiring customer math, like on a board in front of us, um, and you know how the how the acquisition funnel and everything else is looking. Right. And I'm like. I had no idea that my job involved math, (laughs) (laughs) you know, that like, you know, that, that we, we fit so, so squarely or we could fit so squarely into a lot of things. Um, and that was, that was a really eye opening experience for me. So, you know, if all this is new and somewhat foreign to you, um, that's, that is absolutely to be expected. You know, we're, we're really hard on ourselves sometimes and we don't realize that the idea that you're going to measure marketing with that level of precision is like a 10 year old idea. Right. right? Or, you know, it's that's that's really, really new that we've had the ability to measure marketing and growth. It's one of the reasons salespeople have really uh, different cultures than, than than marketers in general. Right. Right. Yeah, it's interesting. And I've always found that um, tracking organization, all these things. I mean, it, it's 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 really important um, in all aspects of, I guess, the startup. So I think those are all good points. And <clears throat> I guess I'm 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 really curious on I, I noticed on your website and stuff just to move into a little bit more of the the framework ideas that you have um, new frameworks for creating you know growth engines so can you talk a little bit about what that means um, and and how that works yeah so the the primary paradigm shift in like market adoption in general, just create, creating growth, is we used to live in a world of bell curves. So right, so on the far left, you'd have early adopters, uh, people who will just download anything and play with anything. Yeah. Right, like Just because I download your app does not mean you have product market fit. I download every app just to see how it breaks my phone uh, because it's useful information for me. Yeah. Um, and then, but then, you know, you've got like this, uh, this growing bell curve with your early majority and your late majority where you get the rest of the market. And then on the far right, you've got your laggards, um, where those are the 2.1 million people still paying AOL $20 a month for dial up internet. Um, you don't want to be AOL right now, right? Like you don't want to be basing your model off of the 2.1 million people who just haven't figured out how to move to high speed internet yet. Um, we now live in a world of S curves, right? So take the, the right half of the bell curve and chop it off in your mind. Like we don't do that anymore. Um, once you feel that things are going well, you should start self disrupting. Um, you can't wait for your industry to develop an Uber. You have to be your industry's Uber. Um, that was actually the core mission at HubSpot labs was if you were going to kill HubSpot, um, we want to know about it before anybody, before some random like MIT nerd figures it out. Uh, And then we want to do it to ourselves. Uh, right. So the reason we launched a free version of HubSpot was because, you know, freemium didn't exist when we launched HubSpot, this idea that you had all these free tools and you'd upsell people or it was very new. Um, but somebody was going to do it in the marketing software space and it might as well be us, right. That knocks us out of the top spot. Gotcha. Um, so we did it to ourselves and, th- and then moving further back, 
right? So that's, that's self-disruption. Uh, moving further back, before you get to that saturation point, um, you have to make sure that your unit economics can scale. Um, as an investor, it's not super interesting to me if I give you $1 and you give me three. Um, I want to give you $1 million and have you give me $3 million yeah. uh, in order to have that work. Um, and then prior to that, that scale up perspective is the two startup phases, uh, which are product market fit, right? Like, are you solving a real problem? Are you creating something people will use? Um, and then getting the math to work, right? So for every dollar that you put into acquiring a customer, can you get three, maybe five, maybe $7 out in monetization? Mm, yeah. Yeah. I like that. Very cool. Um, so, Sam, I want to be respectful of your time. We're just about at our, our closing of the show. Um, my last question that I do want to ask you uh, is uh, something a little outside of business, which is what has been the most inspiring place you have traveled in the world and why? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know if we, if we covered this in the introduction. Um, I, so my, my wife and I live in a van full time. Yeah. Right. Uh, and we, we travel, we travel the country. Um, that's why I'm in Alaska. I don't actually live here. Um, although it's a beautiful place. So you're saying you do that now? Yeah. Yeah. Right now. Yeah. I, my <laughs> wife and I both work full time from the road, uh, living in a, living in a converted van. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I will say though, I, I, I love the United States and I think it's important that entrepreneurs travel to different cities because, you know, Granbury, Texas and Texarkana, Arkansas are just different than Boston, right? right? Like it's a different, it's a different way of looking at the world. Um, I love being here in Alaska, for example, because the mindset here, you know, it's a, they have a state park the size of Massachusetts. Let's put that in perspective. Right. The state is freaking huge. Right. Uh, and the mindset here is not one of what am I allowed to do? Like you might have in New York City or Boston, right? Like it's all these very constrained rules that that keep everybody working together smoothly. Um, the mindset here is very much what's possible, right? Like if I if I can chop down a bunch of trees and build myself a log cabin, like I'm going to do it. Um, and traveling to expose yourself to those different mindsets is extraordinarily important. Um, I particularly like going over to uh, Eastern Europe, the Middle East, and Asia. Um, and judging startup conferences over there. So Startup Turkey uh, is in, in Istanbul is by far one of my favorite global events okay. um, because like, you know, we get, we get stuck in these patterns of innovation and then we end up trying to like, for example, Uberize everything, right? Like right. There's, there's an Uber for any given thing that you can because we just get stuck in the idea that like, okay, this is what innovation looks like. And then I go over to, uh, to the Middle East and I see somebody who is... Um, for example, building a, a Facebook sort of social network that is dedicated specifically to Muslims, uh, to observant Muslims and their, um, their unique sort of, uh, requirements for, for interacting with each other. Um, and it's not that like, I want to see that and copy that model, but that makes me like, look at things like Facebook and be like, okay, like, I wonder if the way that Facebook is designed um, is the best way for everybody to interact, or if there are some, some, some sub cohorts here, or if we should completely redesign, like we should launch a new social network that completely redesigns the way that people interact with each other to be more like how people actually live in, in their daily lives. Right. Um, I think all of us can agree that the way we act on Facebook is not actually how we would act in real life. <laughs> um, you know, 
or, or is there was somebody who had like an on-demand water water delivery thing, uh, which is just not a problem we have here, right? We don't get most of our water is clean and drinkable, et cetera. So we don't uh, we don't solve problems like that. Uh, and so going over to Tur- to Turkey and India and and Romania and some of these countries and ex- breaking myself out of my own bubble, my own blinded thought process of what I think innovation looks like. Right. Um, has been really key for me because then I come back to the United States and it's not that we don't have those problems. It's just that those problems are buried under the surface until a disruptor unsurfaces it and then creates something big. Um, you know, Uber, for example, it's not actually incredibly impressive technology, at least not, not when they were first starting out, there was nothing particularly amazing about the Uber app. Um, what they did though was figure out that there's, other places in the world where the system runs better, uh, and they they replicated that that sort of on demand feeling that you have in London or, or some of the other places with better better cab services. Right. So yeah, that that, that that's been my thing. I don't, I don't know if it's a single place. Um, if I had to pick one, I might pick Istanbul just because uh, it's the crossroads of the world for a reason. It blends a lot of different cultures and histories and philosophies. Um, but yeah, definitely traveling to different places and exposing myself to different patterns of innovation has been very yeah. very key to me. Well, I love that answer. I think it's great because that's exactly what I just like to hear is I've noticed that um, I would say I, we, I interview a lot of social entrepreneurs, but also marketing experts like yourself. And 90% of the people I talk to um, have come up with their passion, their uh, mission in their life because of a travel experience. So their aha moment is based on this mm. travel experience. And so I like to ask people like where they find inspiration. And it's cool what you said is, you know, you expose yourself to these other cultures and other parts of the world and you got new, new, um, I guess, ideas and perspectives on innovation. So again, it is about kind of becoming wiser in a sense right because of the travel so it does it it does make you um grow as a person yeah if if wisdom is knowing how much you don't know um getting outside of the environment you're comfortable with is the key to that right right um you know from a personal maybe not business perspective uh my first trip to india so my, my my father's side of my family is from india but i didn't visit india until i was like 19 years old wow. um i was very transformative experience for me right because you know here i am with like a 300 ipod and everything else like that <laughs> and uh you know there's you give somebody five bucks and you've like completely like changed their, their week. Like you fed their family for like a week. Right. Uh, you know, and seeing all the, the religions coexisting and, um, just the, the different mentality, uh, of the people over there. Right. Um, you know, that, that, that was probably the first experience that really put my life in perspective and made me realize that, um, you know, I want to do something more with my life, more impactful, uh, and that, that reaches more people, um, than just, you know, Cocoa Beach where I'm originally from, um, or, or, or something like that. So yeah, yeah. you're absolutely right. You know, it's, it, it, if, if wisdom is knowing what you don't know, travel is the, <laughs> the best way to get it. Yeah, it really is. It really is. I remember one time, I think Richard, I think it was Richard Branson. He said, he said, you could skip college and just travel the world. It'll be the best education you get. I believe that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I absolutely believe that it's, uh, you know, you know, like the, the most dangerous thing. And, and by the way, this is not true for all professions. I had a, an interesting conversation with a friend of mine who's going into emergency medicine, um, where the core to his success is to be very, very confident that what he's doing is the right thing because a moment's doubt can kill the patient. 
Um, but for most of us, particularly people who are going into entrepreneurship and stuff like that, our key is to figure out where we are wrong before somebody else figures out we're wrong. And we're probably wrong about something. We're probably wrong about a lot of some things. Um, and it's figuring out what's the most important thing we're wrong about and how wrong are we as quickly as possible. Right. Um, so, you know, and, and, and like I said, like traveling internationally and just understanding that, you know, <laughs> you're, you, everything you do is wrong. You're, you're speaking the wrong language. You're using the wrong money. You're you, following the wrong customs. You're eating the wrong food. Uh, you know, it's just like it, it, it's a great way to get your mind in that uh, everything you know is wrong. Um, great Weird Al song, by the way. Uh, <laughs> everything you know is wrong. Uh, sort of sort of mentality that that will set you up for sort of long term career success and entrepreneurship. Right. Right. Awesome. Awesome stuff. Um, so listen, I want to make sure people know how to how to get in touch with you. Um, I know you do some startup consulting. Um, so if you can give a shout out to yourself of where people can find you, how they might reach out, uh, that would be awesome. Absolutely. If you can spell my last name, uh, it's my Twitter account and it's also my website. You're more than welcome to find me there. Um, HubSpot's marketing team actually, though, is launching another site called samfromthevan.com because um, we're, we're going to be uh, launching a documentary where I'm doing this exact thing. I'm interviewing all these people who have these different um, sort of world outlooks as I travel. Yeah. Um, you know, not the oracles and HubSpots of the world, but, you know, the uh, rusts aviations yeah. of the world. Yeah. Um, you know, so you guys can find me on Facebook at the Sam from the van page, um, is probably the easiest way to, uh, to connect with me unless you can spell my name. Yeah. So I'll just spell it out for people, but it'll also <laughs> be on our uh, website when we post this up. So it's www.m-a-l-l-i-k-a-r-j-u-n-a-n. Why don't you pronounce that for us? I'm going to hear that. Yeah, it's uh, Malikarjanan. Is, is, it's phonetic. It's just long, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so we'll have that up on the website, guys. You could check it out. You could do Sam uh, from HubSpot. I think it'll come up most likely. Um, so, Sam, yeah. thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. A lot of good insights, and I, and I just, I just appreciate, appreciate you uh, taking the time to share your story. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. That's all for this episode. Your next step is to join the change creator revolution by downloading our interactive digital magazine app for premium content, exclusive interviews, and more ways to stay on top of your game. Available now on iTunes and Google Play or visit changecreatormag.com. We'll see you next time where money and meaning intersect right here at the Change Creator Podcast. 